Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be covering a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. And that is ancient interaction between the Gentiles and the Jews, the Greeks and the Jews, the outside world. What did they think about the Jews? How did they perceive Jewish religion? And what were their opinions of the Jews in general? And to start, we're going to turn back to perhaps the most ancient account of the Jews that we have. And this dates back to the 5th century. Now, this 5th century account is going to predate Alexander the Great. So we're getting a pre-Hellenized vision of outside perspective of Jewish religion. And this is found in Hectatius of Miletus, and he's being quoted by Diodorus. And this account seems to be the basis of Strabo. Strabo, the geographer, he's pretty famous. He wrote accounts of all sorts of different people groups. We still have a lot of his works in existence. I think I read pretty much all of uh, Strabo at one time in my life. But uh, it's, a, it's a good read. It's, it's interesting. And, but you do need to take it with a grain of salt, as we'll see shortly. So here's that 5th century account right here. But the greater number were driven into what is now called Judea which is not far distant from Egypt and was at the time uninhabited. So we see a little bit of differences here. In, in Hectatius of Miletus, um, Jerusalem, uh, Israel, is uninhabited, whereas in the biblical account, they displace pre-existing people groups. The colony was headed by a man called Moses, outstanding for both his wisdom and his courage on taking possession of the land. He founded, besides other cities, one that is now the most renowned of all, called Jerusalem. Remember in the biblical account, Moses dies before he enters the promised land, so he's not the founder of Jerusalem. In addition, he established the temple that they hold in chief veneration. The temple didn't exist until Solomon, in the biblical account, instituted their forms of worship and ritual, drew up their laws, and ordered their political institutions. He divided them into 12 tribes, since this is regarded as the most perfect number and corresponds to the number of months that make up a year. In the Bible, the 12 tribes exist because they're the 12 sons of Jacob. There, there's literally 12 tribes. That's why, why there is 12 tribes in the Bible. But he had no images whatsoever of the gods made for them, being of the opinion that God is not in human form, rather the heaven which surrounds the earth and is alone divine and rules the universe. So this idea that the Jews worship heaven, heaven is divine. Uh, you, you could probably see why they get this idea. There, there's, there's no cult icons. When Pompey invades the temple, he, he goes in the Holy of Holies. There's no shrine. There's no objects of worship. There's, there's nothing there. Um, there, there's no idols going on. When Jews pray, they pray upwards. So you see a lot of in the Bible imagery praying towards the heavens. God in the Bible is described as the God of heavens. And so we, we can see where this perception is derived. And this perception it does get propagated to other individuals, such as Strabo. An Egyptian priest named Moses, who possessed a portion of the country called the Lower Egypt, being dissatisfied with the established institutions there, left it and came to Judea with a large body of people who worshipped the divinity. He declared and taught that the Egyptians and Africans entertained erroneous sentiments in representing the divinity under the likeness of wild beasts and the cattle of the field. 
and that the Greeks were also in error of making images of their gods after human form. For God, he said, may be this one thing which encompasses us all, land and sea, which we call heaven or the universe or the nature of things. Who then of any understanding would venture to form an image of this deity, resembling anything which which we are conversant? On the contrary, we ought not to carve any images, but to set apart some sacred ground as a shrine worthy of the deity and to worship him without any similitude. And so they... In this account, Strabo is saying that Moses was against idols, foreigners making idols of foreigners' gods. You don't actually find that in the Bible. There's no, hey, you guys shouldn't make images of your own gods. No, there, there's, there's nothing like that. Instead, we are the imagers of God in Genesis, uh, so we don't need idols who are imagers of God. Man is God's imager. And as, as a result, People who worship Yahweh don't need idols and images. Other idols and images do exist, but they are attacked for being dead objects and not representations of the true God. So it, it's interesting how this is being portrayed here. It almost looks like a form of pantheism that the Jews worship the heaven and earth. They worship the material universe. It's a naturalistic re religion. It's a very interesting conception, to say the least. The next interaction dates to around 300 BC, in which there's an account of a Jew who actually meets Aristotle. So Aristotle is portrayed as talking to this individual. It's a very flattering account that is relayed. And this account, this Jew meets Aristotle and they talk philosophy. They make statements such as the Jews are a race of philosophers who get their ideas from India. Let's read that. These Jews are derived from the Indian philosophers. They are named by the Indians Kalami and by the Syrians Judea and took their name from the country they inhabit, which is called Judea. But for the name of their city it is a very awkward one, for they call it Jerusalem. Now this man, the Jew who uh, actually interacted with Aristotle, according to this report, now this man, when he was hospitally treated by the great many, came down from the upper country to the place near the sea and became a Grecian not only in his language, but also in his soul also, insomuch that when we ourselves happened to be in Asia about the same places, whether he came, he conversed with us and with other philosophical persons and made a trial of our skill in philosophy. And as he had lived with many learned men, he communicated to us more information than we received from us. Oh, this, this wise scholar Jew is, is uh, giving Aristotle all sorts of philosophy. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, very believable. Very believable report. Now, that's, that's sarcasm, by the way. Um, I, I don't credit it. It just seems to be a favorable, favorable description of the Jews. The next earliest account of Gentile understanding of Jewish religion is recorded by Josephus, and he's quoting Manasses of Perea. And this is about the libel that the Jews worship the head of an ass. In the Jerusalem temple, there is a pole with a head of a donkey on that pole, and that is worshipped by, by the Jews. And this is repeated by several various sources in the, the Greek world. It tends to be associated with ridicule of, of Moses and of the Jews. The, the Jews were a people of leprosy, and they were kicked out of Egypt because they were so unclean and dirty. And these, these, these people are gross people. What they do in their temple is they worship a head of an ass, head of a donkey that's on a stick, 
and uh, they were bad people. And so this is repeated by all sorts of individuals within, within uh, the ancient world. Diodorus' account actually describes Antiochus IV uh, going into the Holy of Holies and seeing a statue of a man holding a book on a donkey, and so which they take as Moses holding the Bible on a donkey as the cult-focused worship object. And so that's along the same vein, the same line as the Jews worshiping a donkey. But uh, I, I don't put much credit in that. I think the Pompeii version is probably more accurate. Of course, the Antiochus IV would have predated, predated the Pompeii. But as we've seen already, the idea that the Jews didn't worship any images and were against icons... Uh, that was fairly prominent. So it's probably the more believable account that's recorded. Let's turn to Tactus really quick. He's he's around uh, 50 to 120 AD, so or, you know, about 100 AD. And he criticizes the Jews for this mental conception of God. He says, quite different is their faith about things divine. The Egyptians worship many animals and images of monstrous form. The Jews have a purely mental conceptions of deity as one essence. They call those who profane, who make representations of God in human shape out of perishable materials. They, they don't like idols. They believe that the being to be supreme and eternal, neither capable of representation nor of decay. They therefore do not allow any images to stand in their cities, much less in their temples. This flattery is not paid to their kings, nor is this honor to the emperors. From the fact, however, that their priests used to chant the music of flutes and cymbals and to wear garlands of ivy, and that a golden vine was found in the temple, some have thought that they worship Father Liber, the conqueror of the East, through their though their institutions do not by any means harmonize with the theory. And it's pretty funny if you read Plutarch. Plutarch, he says that the Jews probably worship, that in the ancient world, it was, a, it was always a question, who do the Jews worship? And... Uh, Plutarch, he says, oh, these Jews, they must worship Dionysus, the god of wine, because these Jews are always drunk all the time. Uh, and then they have uh, these images in their temples, the images of tambourines, like um, musical instruments. They, they definitely, they're a worshiper of the god of wine, these drunkard Jews. So that's pretty funny. Tactus is uh, definitely criticizing the Jews here. Um, he thinks idols are useful. And he seems to have some interaction with some Hellenized Jews. Of course, this is around 50 to 100 AD is, is when he lived. And so he's interacting with these Jews. It's pretty funny that in Christian literature that often the Jews are criticized for not having mental conceptions of God. In Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr is uh, before 100 AD, um, he describes the Jew, Jewish scholars they're learned people as believing God has a body. And so uh, you see this again in Origin of Alexandria. In, in, the, in a lecture I just watched about Augustine, the, the scholar, he pointed out that it's, it's pretty remarkable that Augustine didn't come to any understanding or he, was, he didn't even encounter the idea of an incorporeal God until he was in his mid-30s. His 30s, so he's, he goes 30 years of his life without ever even coming across the idea that God is incorporeal. This, this, is, this is the popular religion at the time. God has a body in some respect. 
and that these ancient uh, individuals talking about Judaism, especially people like Tactus, uh, they they seem to have only interacted with Jews who don't have that perception. Whereas, whereas all our evidence point to the more prominent belief of God's corporality, that God has a body. Juvenal, he's, he's another interesting uh, witness around the time of Tactus, writes basically the same thing, that some who have a father who reveres the Sabbath, they're a Jew, worship nothing but the clouds and the divinity of heavens. This is going back to the belief uh, that was recorded by Strabo and uh, probably originating in Hectus of Miletus. And the idea that that uh, the Jews worship the heavens, that they're, they're pantheists, they worship nature. And so these people who have fathers who are Jews worship nothing but the clouds and the divinity of heavens. And see no difference between eating swine's flesh from which their father abstained, and that of man, meaning that they they hold it on par. Cannibalism is the same thing as eating pigs. Uh, Plutarch actually has an interesting comment where, where he he considers why don't the Jews eat pig, and he thinks, oh, maybe it's because they worship pigs, much like the Egyptians, but uh, that's not the case. So it, it was it was very speculative and incorrect. He says. And in time, they take to circumcision. He's describing that the God-fearers, the Jews who are converting to Judaism, will, will eventually take circumcision to become full, full members of the Jewish society. He finishes this here. He's, he's criticizing Moses. This is a criticism. He's talking about Moses handed down these laws and sacred rites. He says, For all which the Father was to blame, who gave up every seventh day to idleness, keeping it apart from all other concerns of life. This was actually another ancient criticism of the Jews, that the Jews were inherently lazy people. This is this is part of the slanders that, oh, they worshipped a head of a donkey, uh, they were idle. They, they uh, took foreigners, they captured the foreigners, they fattened them up, and they killed these foreigners every three or seven years. These are the type of slanders going around against the Jews. And you see that against the Christians as well. All the Christians, they have these secret sex cults and they're, they're always drunk and getting drunk and, and having these parties and, and they kill babies. They These Christians kill babies. The same type of slanders were going around about the Jews as well. Now going back to Diodorus, he's about first century BC and within him, in his works, we see the first a recorded acquaintance with the name of God among the Hebrews. And here's his quote there. This is in his book. Thus, it is recorded that among the Aryan, Zathoritites claimed that the good spirit gave him his laws. They're talking about ancient lawgivers. Among the people known as the Geti, who, who represent themselves to be immortal, Zalmois asserted that the same of their common goddess, Hestia, and among the Jews, Moses referred his laws to the God who is invoked as Io, which would be the Greek form of Yah. Switching over to Artapanus, who is being quoted by Alexander Polyhistory and quoted by Eusebius. Eusebius is quoting Polyhistory, uh, quoting Arpitanius about uh, the 2nd century BC is when this could be dated. There is an account of Moses and his encounter with God. We don't find the name of God here, but this is an early account of what the Gentiles believed about the Jews. This individual, Artapanus, is said to have written an entire book called On the Jews, 
So apparently he was a supposed 2nd century BC expert on Judaism. Here's what he writes about Moses. The Jews are in Egypt. This king behaved so badly to the Jews, and first he built Kessa and founded the temple therein, and then built the temple Helipolis. He begat a daughter, Maris, whom he betrothed to a certain Cherenephres, king of the regions above Memphis, for there were many at the time, many kings in Egypt. His son, Polythomos, succeeded to sovereignty. And he begat a daughter, Maris, whom he betrothed to a certain Chenephres, king of the regions above Memphis, for there were at this time many kings in Egypt. And she, being barren, took a Sopotius child from one of the Jews and called him Moses. But the Greeks, but by the Greeks he was called, when grown to manhood, Masuius. And this Moses, they said, was a teacher of Ophirius. And so in this version, Moses is an Egyptian priest, a teacher of, of one of these Egyptian gods, Orpheus. And when he grew up, he taught mankind many useful things, for he was the inventor of ships, machines for laying stones, Egyptian arms, engines for drawing water and war. So he's, he's like a mechanical, technical guy, and invented philosophy. Further, he divided the state into 36 gnomes and appointed the god to be worshipped by each gnome and the sacred writings for the priests and their gods were cats and dogs and ibises he also apportioned an especial district for the priests and all these things he did for the sake of keeping the sovereignty firm and safe for shenephbris for previously the multitudes being under no order now expelled now set up kings often the same persons but often sometimes other so he was uh he was a state official in egypt who was protecting the monarchy is what this account states for these reasons then moses was beloved by the multitudes and being deemed by the priests worthy to be honored like a god he was named hermes because of his interpretation of the hieroglyphics but when shernephres perceived the excellence of moses he envied him and sought to slay him on some plausible pretext and so when the Ethiopians invaded Egypt. Shenephres supposed that he found a convenient opportunity and set Moses in command of a force against them and enrolled the body of husbandmen for them, supposing that through the weakness of his troops he would be easily destroyed by the enemy. And this this might uh, manifest itself in in the Scott Ridley movie of uh, the Gods of Egypt, in which Moses is a military warrior. But let's skip down. So he comes back to Egypt. He flees after learning about a plot on his life because he's so beloved by the people. Again, that's not the biblical account. This is this account in uh, the second century BC from a pagan author. But Moses prayed to God now at last to put an end to the sufferings of the tribes. And God, being propitiated, fire, it is said, suddenly blazed out of the earth and went on burning, though there was no wood nor any fuel in the place. And Moses was frightened at the occurrence and took to flight but a divine voice spake to him to march against egypt and rescue the jews and lead them into their old country so he took courage and determined to lead a hostile force against the egyptians but first came to his brother aaron and when the king of egypt heard of the arrival of moses he called him before him and asked him what he had come for and he said because the lord of the world commands him to deliver the jews this part's particularly interesting moses approaches the pharaoh the pharaoh says what god uh, sent you and Moses bent down and whispered in his ear and when the king heard it he fell speechless but was held fast by Moses and came to life again and he wrote the name in a tablet and sealed it up and one of the priests who made light of what was written on the tablet was seized with convulsion and died and so the name of God is 
given some sort of reverence, uh, mythical status that can kill, can't really be spoken out loud. And this is probably reinforced by the fact that the Jews stopped speaking the name of God fairly early, even before even before Jesus's time, they referred to God as Lord, Adonai, instead of by God's name. God's name was held in reverence. And this is all kept in Eusebius's preparation for the gospel, a very interesting work which preserves all sorts of ancient quotes on the subject of God, the Jews, um, biblical stories, and uh, ancient people's perceptions. Josephus is also another good source. So, so far we have covered in this episode, we covered the perception that the Jews worship the sky. They, they worship uh, their a pantheistic notion, which is taken variously as a good or sage-like quality. The Jews were seen as uh, a, a mythical people. They, they were foreign, they were unique, they were interesting, they were seen as sages. Some individuals, such as Numinius, who was uh, around 200 AD, he was a Middle Platonist. He saw Moses as a precursor to Plato, and he wasn't alone in this. There are all sorts of Christians and Jews trying to draw that that point out. Uh, so you, you read almost, take your pick of any ancient apologist for Christianity, you got Justin Martyr, you got Clement, you got Augustine, you got Eusebius, you got uh, Origin of Alexandria, and all of them teach that Plato derived his teachings ultimately from Moses. And the Neoplatonist uh, Numinius actually repeats this, and he points to Exodus 3, the, the burning bush in which God says, I am that I am, as evidence that Plato, Plato, was learning from Moses. He says, what is Moses but Plato speaking Attic? And that means that what is Moses except for Plato speaking common, normal, natural dialogue? Plato is a more sophisticated version of Moses who preceded him, and Moses teaching the same thing gives validity to Plato. Very, very early Christian claim, repeated by all these Christian apologists that Plato was dependent on Moses. If they could draw that connection, then their religion gains some prominence. It gains a place in the ancient world. They are greater than Plato. That's a place they want to be in. So alternatively, we have accounts of the Jews worshiping the sky. We have a fairly well-known a trait of the Jews that they don't have images or icons. We have an entire this entire uh, section of ancient history trying to slander the Jews that they worship the head of a donkey on a stick. And we have various individuals such as uh, Plutarch trying to discern who they actually worship. Oh, they worship, they worship Dionysus because they drink the wine. They drink the alcohol. They're all drunkards. In all of this, in all of this, uh, not very many people uh, echo biblical accounts of Judaism and Jewish beliefs. It, it seems to me, it seems to me that the more probable accounts of typical Jewish belief are found in Christian criticisms of the Jews. You find very often that they criticize God for having a body. So in Justin Martyr, he writes that that uh, all these Jewish sages, these Jewish religious teachers teach that God has a body. It's a criticism. 
He's criticizing the Jews. In Origin of Alexandria, he writes that the common people believe uh, in God's corporality, that God has a body. And Augustine, Augustine in the lecture, the, the scholar stated that uh, it, it is something of note that Augustine, it wasn't until he was 30 years of age that he encountered the idea that God did not have a body. So that the normal, typical individual in the ancient world, a Greek or, or Jew, Gentile or Jew, they all believed in the corporality that God had a body in some fashion. It's a pretty common belief. It wasn't, it wasn't until the experts, the, the, the teachers of religion, they're the ones who pressed these more lofty ideas of God, which became popularized, which became written down and propagated to us today. So we might have somewhat of a false perception of ancient Jewish and Christian and Christian beliefs and how they saw God because all that remains is the writings of those people who are educated, writing to an educated audience, educated themes in an apologetic tone. So I think that's a pretty good overview of early Jewish Gentile interaction, the different factors at the play, the different uh, misperceptions or accurate perceptions, depending the different controversies floating around. A lot of uh, misperception that we see in various accounts. And remember, this is the ancient world. They don't have internet. They don't have texting. Uh, they communicate through travelers or through letters or through rumor or through uh, legends that they see or hear that are passed down. This is the world that they live in. So it's a big, long game of telephone when they're trying to accurately represent each other's beliefs. Humorously, humorously illustrated in Plutarch's account that the Jews are drunkards and worship Dionysus. That's pretty funny. But uh, any questions, comments, anything to add, put that down below. But anyways, comments, questions, anything to add, put that down below. We have started a MeWe God is Open group. We have a God is Open group on Facebook. Feel free to join, post, and uh, join the community. Thank you for listening.